Hello and welcome to episode number 17 of Inquisitive on Relay FM. This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by Campaign Monitor, helping you send beautiful emails and get better results, Dev Mountain, a world-class coding school in the mountains of Utah, and PDF Pen Scan Plus from Smile, the app for mobile scanning and OCR. My name is Mike Hurley, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Serenity Caldwell. Hi, Serenity. How are you? Hi, Mike. I'm doing great. It's a little dreary here in uh, in New England, but otherwise quite lovely. It's the winter setting in. Yeah, but not in the not in the pretty, you know, snow falling, everything beautifully silent winter wonderland way. More in the torrential rain, streets flooding, want to stay indoors, and you know, with a hot cup of cocoa kind of way. Just not terrible when you can stay indoors. Well, it's nighttime here, so uh, I guess it could be worse. It could be really raining, but I can't see it at the moment. Yes. So, Serenity, what do you like to be known for these days? Oh, gosh. Uh, (laughs) Well, I guess I can be primarily known for uh, my work at iMore, where I'm the managing editor for iOS. Um, and uh, that sound of a motorcycle has nothing to do with my <laughs> my job, but it it just happened to be there. Um, I work I work at iMore. I do writing and editing and all sorts of miscellany for them, including perhaps ebooks. There are rumors. Um, surprise, surprise. And um, I also do a variety of other miscellaneous projects. I work. I'm on the Incomparable, uh, both as a regular panelist and I'm the director for the Incomparable Radio Theater on the Air. Uh, I do roller derby. I uh, <laughs> let's see. It's 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 always the like which of the many hats am I wearing? I, I just finished recording demos for an EP, which I may or may not release sometime in 2015, depending mm. on whether or not I can learn to play fake drums. We'll see. <laughs> Are they better than real drums? Um, slightly in that I don't have to pay for real drums. <laughs> it's like really about learning Logic's drums, uh, virtual drums, and seeing if they uh, they go to my satisfaction. I'm a pianist and a guitarist. I'm not so much with the with the percussion instruments. So, aside from the EP, which I didn't know was something uh, that you you you're up to now, I kind of wanted to talk about everything that you listed. Um, <laughs> Now, the the biggest thing I think that's happened in your world recently, or at least you know, seemingly to the rest of the world, is that you left Macworld and joined iMore. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about this and kind of what pushed you to do this, what the transition has been like and things like that. But I guess we'll start with just a, a little bit of history. So how long were you at Macworld? I was at Macworld just about four years when I left, which seems like a long time, but it really, it did pass quite quickly, which is kind of crazy. And what originally took you to Macworld? Where where did that idea come from? How did you end up there? Oh, man, I think, I can't remember if I told this story on, on the last time I was on your podcast, on a very different podcast, but um, the, the long and short of it is that um, I was in theater and I was in film and uh, I had basically post-college a spectacular burnout uh, where I realized that while I, I adore theater and I adore film, it's not the uh, it wasn't the career I wanted to be in because I couldn't deal with the heartbreak of losing something that you'd put nine months into. Um, and so as a result, I, um, I was like, oh, I, I need to make some money. And uh, hey, technology, I'm great at technology. Um, and it just so happened while I was reading Twitter, you know, lamenting my the end of my former career, I saw that Jason Snell posted a, uh, 
a call out for bloggers on Macworld for 10 bucks a post. And I'm like, well, you know, that's that's better than nothing. And at least it, you know, exercises my writing skills. So I wrote back almost immediately. I think I turned in two writing samples within like an hour of their request because I was just like, nope, gotta gotta get this in. And then of course I didn't hear from them for four months. So I assumed that I was just, uh, yeah, that didn't pan out. When in fact, it was just that uh, behind the scenes, turns out when there are not a lot of editors and you get 400, 500 submissions, it takes a while to like narrow down all of that. So a couple months later, I'm working at an Apple store and I get a, an email from um, from Dan Warren being like, hey, you, you, you still want to write for us? And it was all history from there. I, I freelanced for Macworld for about nine months. And then when they posted a, uh, a full-time editor position, I jumped at the chance in part to move out of the East Coast, which, haha, I'm back in. But uh, for, for a couple of years, I was living in San Francisco and that was... That was a complete adventure, and I was so grateful for that and so grateful to be able to, <laughs> for, for Macworld to kind of take a chance on somebody who, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a journalism major, I'm not an English major, um, I love technology, and, and Macs have been part of my life my entire life, but it was never something that I was, you know, I'm not, I'm not a secret computer science minor or anything like that. I just, I knew a lot of stuff in various buckets, and uh, it just, it, it happened that they, they were able to take a chance on me, and I... I'm forever grateful to Jason for doing that. Over the time that you were at Macworld, what positions did you hold and how did your how did your job change? Well, I started at Macworld as a staff editor uh, primarily to work on their burgeoning ebook program. At the time, it had only been headed up by uh, one person um, and then two, uh, including Heather Kelly, who would later become my boss. And when Heather's boss left, Heather became in charge of the ebook program and I... Uh, I became her subordinate and it was basically just us for a very long time, along with some very, very helpful copy editors and uh, our production staff, sort of building building the world of Macworld eBooks. Um, so to start, we were just doing PDFs, you know, and I was also, because I had a freelancer background with Macworld, I was constantly trying to still write for the site, even though it wasn't technically part of my job description. Um, I was still like, no, I want to do new stuff. Please. I need to be able to, yeah, please don't <laughs> lock me in the ebooks dungeon forever. I mean, I'm, I consider myself a fairly good editor, um, even though I don't, you know, I don't have professional training, but I feel like I, I, it's it's a weird sort of thing where you can look at words and you can be like, this is right, this is wrong, this this flows better, and you know it's about telling the narrative. And I uh, as throughout my years there, I kind of picked up on the all the grammatical things that you officially need to know to be a, a good editor. Uh, but when I started out, you know, I was just I was just doing the ebooks. I'm like, I gotta write too. I gotta do, I gotta have some balance or my head's gonna explode. So. Um, I got into a position where I was I was doing way too much work, uh, but I was enjoying it. So I was I was doing how tos and news and reviews for the website and for the magazine, but also working on these ebook projects. And I think what in t- either the end of 2012 or the end of I think the end of 2012, um, we'd had uh, 24 ebooks that we published in one year, which is a lot. That's insane. Like that. Is, yeah. That is like crazy making yeah and we were talking about publishing even more in the following year and of course uh that was that was the beginning of the budget cut land uh the land of budget Mm -hmm. cuts so instead of us being able to hire somebody to help us with this burgeoning ebook empire uh we were instead being like "Eh, maybe you should just cut back to the ebooks that are really important and we're going to shuffle some people around um 
And so the eBooks became sort of less of a focus at my job and I started focusing more on online features. So basically all of the stuff that we were doing in eBooks, we started sort of packaging so that they could be edited, prepped and released simultaneously on the website and in the, uh, in the magazine and for a while on our, on our Macworld app. So collecting like these short, these short compilations, like we do, um, we ended up putting up a book of this 100 Things Every Mac User Should Know, uh, the iPad Office, where we just collected a bunch of articles on um, working on your iPad as from a produ- from a productivity standpoint. So that was that became sort of my primary job focus with, again, a lot of outshoots into um, into various things. I ended up picking up a lot of the app beat, which was really fun with uh, with one of my uh, former colleagues who still works for Macworld, Leah Yamshan, she and I were were the iOS queens for a little while, and that was really fun. Um, and I st- like I love writing about iOS apps. I've <laughs> iOS is such a fun platform, and it, like I've tried developing for iOS, and I'm terrible at it. Mm-hmm. Objective C and I just don't get along, but I love seeing what other people do for it, uh, and it's really exciting to be to be like I have just enough technical knowledge to know why this is really really cool, <laughs> and. Uh, so was, that that was a really enjoyable part of my job is just kind of, you know, looking looking for new apps and being able to write about new apps that really captivated me and bring them into the spotlight. Um, and of course, the features like I really I really do think that uh, putting together features that that can help people um, and make them better use their computers, their iOS devices, their technology in general will help them leave lead fuller, richer lives. Like when I was in the Apple store. I was a creative, so I was teaching the one-to-one as part of the one-to-one program, uh, working with people, some people who had never used a computer before, some people who were pros in some aspects and complete like n- amateurs and others, and being able to like open up their world a little bit and see that sort of the magic spark in their eyes. I love, I always, I always will love that sort of the teaching aspect. So I kind of feel like the how-to features I was working on at Macworld were kind of an extension of that. The like, even though I can't see the reaction of someone when they find my article and they're like, oh man, you mean you can do this with Facebook? I never knew. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, it, it, it's probably trivial in the, the scheme of the world, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saving babies in Rwanda, but I, I feel like I'm still helping people live their lives. It seems like that you, uh, over your time there, you kind of went backwards and forwards into roles you enjoyed. Like, it feels like the way that you talk about it, at least, that before you left Macworld, you were doing a job that was more enjoyable than when you were in kind of the middle, like with the ebook yeah. stuff. I would definitely say so. Um, I mean, I love, I loved uh, the the experimentation with ebooks. Like, it, again, like I do have some coding background. Uh, primarily, I'm a I do front end and HTML, so PHP, HTML, CSS, that kind of stuff. Um, and being able to work in the ebook medium, which is essentially HTML, CSS packaged up into a into a different format called EPUB, being able to experiment and really make ebooks something pretty, which is not something anyone was striving for up until like there was there are a couple rarefied people. Um, you know, in bits and pieces of the internet, including uh, Liz Castro, who is still, to my mind, one of the one of the foremost helps for for creating nice looking ebooks. Um, there wasn't really a lot of passion for that, and I saw something that I'm like, oh, I can make this better. I have just enough graphic design knowledge and just enough HTML knowledge, and just enough drive to sink my heart into what other people might look at as a pointless project. Um, and I really do think it like it improved both our 
our reputation as, you know, not only are our books helpful and have good information, but they're easy to pick up and they're easy to read and you can get them in multiple formats, you know, like that, that part of the job I really liked. And I liked the, the end product. Like I liked being able to present a collective version of information. Um, the, the, the one drag about working on the eBooks program at Macworld was just, it was, we were understaffed. We were horribly understaffed. So we were doing something that like for a publishing company might require 10, 12 people, um, all in all. We were doing it with two, and we were also having people like Heather and I who were focusing on marketing roles and promotional roles and, you know, advertising and all of that, um, which is in our really our job. And I mean, I, I feel like you can, anybody who's in podcasting can kind of relate to this to a certain extent where it's like, I, I just want to create the content. I don't want to be responsible for everything else. Um, so the, the that was kind of the drag where it was just trying to do so much and not having the resources or having people um Jason was always very supportive of the ebooks but higher up we were co- I was constantly like having to put together budget proposals and everything else I'm like we're not actually paying anybody aside from technically me to do ebooks and and my job has kind of my job had maneuvered away from that by the point that ebooks actually got really popular like we 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 aren't really sinking any money into ebooks, and we're making all of this profit. So maybe we can hire more people. Maybe we can put some money into outside editors. Maybe, huh? Oh, no, okay. So it was, you know, that having to be a bunch of different roles that weren't in my wheelhouse and things like, you know, I'll I'll do anything, and I'm 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 willing to take on projects that I know nothing about in order to learn learn new skills. But at the same time, you know. Saying, oh, I can do something that I've never done before is different than saying, oh, I'm going to do five things I've never done before in addition to all of my regular work, in addition to the things I'm really good at. And I'm going to try and do this all at the same time. It just it got a little exhausting. And, you know, 8, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. was a fine day when I was working at, in San Francisco and I didn't really have a huge social life and my boyfriend was across the country so it wasn't like it wasn't like I'm like all right 5 30 time to go home you know I, I didn't have a whole lot of extra extraneous things um pulling me away from the job and because I'm like I like to be passionate about what I'm working on I would spend a lot of time and more hours than I probably should have making everything perfect and then once I got away from that a little bit, I definitely think I burned out. Like once I got, once I started doing Derby um, and that took up a chunk of my evenings, I was like, holy heck, how much time have I been spending at work? <laughs> <laughs> like not even, not even intentionally, just what? <laughs> so you mentioned, so. you mentioned that there were some tough times and there were layoffs and stuff like that uh, at Macworld. How did did you start to feel differently about where the company was going? Well, so this is you know without revealing too much, I'm I'm like picking and choosing what Jason has said publicly because I feel yeah, like course. that's the that's the safe the safe route to start. But we had um we had something like six CEOs of our of our small individual like IDG owns MacWorld, but uh, but there's also this sort of intermediate group um, which is I think now called IDG Consumer and SMB. And when I started, it was still PC World MacWorld. That was the group brand, and it was just PC World and MacWorld staff sort of smushed together, sharing the same like HR people and stuff. Um, and then about a year into my job, we became this this group unit called IDG Consumer and SMB, which really wasn't that many more publications, but we created TechHive and things like that. Um, and that, you know, in um, 
I think that's actually that was actually a good move on their part because you know reducing overhead from you know certain certain aspects. Um, but it was a change, and during all of this, we kept on switching CEOs. So it wasn't just that the editorial sh- staffs were constantly seeing like shifts and changes to wh- who they were reporting to, or where they were, what they were doing, or how they were expected to work with the other editorial staffs. It was also like all this mumbo jumbo happening above our heads. And you know, there were there were always the private gripes uh, between staffers. Uh, you know, like we we would all be like, "Oh man, uh, corporate overlords, blah blah blah, fish shake." But it wasn't interfering my with my job, and so I like kind of batted a blind eye, and I'm like, "IDG is a really good company to work for overall. They treat their employees really nicely." Like. You know, I've I was probably underpaid, but like I had a nice benefits package and I wasn't really complaining like a full time job. I'm 22, 23 at this point. Like I'm I'm seeing my friends living in their parents houses. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm doing what I love and I'm getting, you know, I'm not getting paid what I want to be able to do what I, for doing what I love. But I still I'm, I'm getting paid and I'm like being able to support myself. Uh, but when. It kind of all changed. I hate to put the blame on autoplay, but autoplay was kind of the... Uh, the <laughs> <laughs> autoplay was the catalyst, which is to say, um, I want to say a year and a half ago, two years. Is it really that long? I think a year and a half ago. Um, autoplaying videos started popping up on Macworld sites. And originally, we just thought this was like a one-off campaign. And we were like, we're sorry, it'll go away, we swear. And then it stuck around and in addition autoplay started happening on the sidebar so we'd have these like this how-to module for our how-to videos and then all of a sudden you'd be scrolling and suddenly like hello this is serenity caldwell from macworld here to tell you about airdrop and i'm like what what is going on why is why are there voices i don't understand <laughs> so there you know there's it was just it was insane it was it was really quite crazy um and all of us loathed it because of course we're human beings and like we have to load we have to load the the website a million times more than everyone else in the world does yeah um because we're constantly proofing articles and of course you know the ads the the view counts were running on the staging server so we were still like getting bombarded when we were trying to read um it was just it was a whole lot of a whole lot of uh frustration and it's i was at the time uh, one of my many job aspects was running the the letters department, running the email address where people sent their thoughts, questions, complaints, et cetera. Oh. And I had the feedback in the magazine and I also ran the Twitter account. Um, so I, every day, I ended up having to go through like 20, 30 people via Twitter, emails, et cetera, who were just like, why don't you turn off the bleeping autoplay? How dare you disrespect your readers, et cetera. And I tried, like, somehow, I, I did not lose my soul. And I managed to reply almost to, like, every single one of them. And they were mostly handwritten. Like, I did have, like, some basic form, like, hey, emailing these people will really help. Um, but overall, it was just like, hey, we understand. Believe me, not editorial's choice. We would turn it off in a second if we could. Hey, Chris Breen wrote this great article about how to stop autoplaying videos. Maybe you should check that out. And yeah, that was that was a a really interesting thing to see. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was great. Like from the on, outside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I think we wrote something like three different articles on like, hey, so those autoplay videos, you really hate those, huh? Here's a suggestion. (laughs) Because honestly, um, what, you know, I can't talk too much into the higher up business decisions about it. But in general, you know, the the thought from corporate culture on autoplay videos, and I'm not just talking about IDG, I'm just talking about in general, is people are like, video's big, video's big, video's big. We've got to monetize this. Well, we don't have the views to monetize video because we haven't been spending the money on video. So before we spend the money on video, let's artificially boost our views. And yeah. like, let's let's make sure that we can sell ad campaigns. And once we've got ad campaigns sold, then we'll sink money into good video. Rather than, you know, taking a chance and spending a little bit of money now to get a lot of money later. It's just, it was the, it was, it was a cheap way out. And like, I've seen a lot of, a lot of companies do this. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's, that was IDG's goal, because I can't claim to know what was going on in the higher up meetings. But, but it certainly felt that way from the, from the ground level that it's like, all right, there's no real point in this. There's no, you know, there's, (laughs) why are we doing this? We're alienating the people who actually love and read our site um, in exchange for some paltry views that won't actually help our bottom line. Um, and so it was like, it was, it was just a complete boneheadedness and and deafness on the part of our higher ups to understand that like the reason why Macworld always did so well. And in fact, when our, when the first round of IDG SMB layoffs happened, like Macworld was, was doing well. Macworld increased subscribers. Like we were... We were not dying. Um, I mean, print is hard, and we certainly weren't like <laughs> we weren't bountiful and exciting. Um, and I again, I can't talk about specific numbers or anything like that. But but you know, we were we were in the black and not not terrible. Um, but when you combine us with all the other publications, with TechHive, with PC World, with everything else, it starts to look a little bleaker. Um, and so the, you know, autoplay thing that was happening on PC World, and that was happening on TechHive, and of course it was happening on Macworld. Whereas we were kind of like, you know, the, the other sites are a little bit different than us. Like we, we have a core audience. We have people who come back uh, repeatedly all the time who love our stuff. And if we basically say, screw you, we care more about, you know, random eyeballs than we do about our loyal listeners. That's, uh, it's really hard to take as a, from an editorial standpoint, like it's really, it's, it's, it was really a bummer. Um, so it was like, that was a big thing for me in terms of just like making me lose heart in, um, in the job. And, you know, I, I like being proud of who I work for. Right. I, I like, yeah. I like being able to say like, I'm doing this to, to help people to, to be, you know, to be part of something, um, and to do good work. And I was still doing good work, but I felt like people weren't being people weren't able to see it because of all of the the, the layers that had gone over it. And um, then, of course, there were a couple rounds of layoffs, um, including the most recent one, which by, by that time I had decided to to leave for Imore. I kind of dodged a bullet there, yeah. where about two three weeks before, um, there was basically a. I don't, it wasn't a huge red flag, but it was enough of a, you know, I, I had been looking for red flags for six months because of the way that everything was being treated. Um, and Jason was clearly not happy. And it's like when Jason, the only reason at that point, like January, 2014, the only reason I was sticking around, um, was Jason because I didn't want to be like, you gave me my start, peace out, have fun on the sinking ship. Right. Um, 
I really like I really wanted if Jason still believed in it I really wanted to you know make something happen and so about three four weeks before um all of the craziness happened um in October uh or October September yeah gosh it's been it's been a while um before all that craziness happened, there was basically a minor a minor red flag where something something happened without giving away too much information. Um, something happened, which from my mind was from like my finances and and corporate balances mind looked like it was a really stupid financial move on the on the part of the company where they were basically dumping some money down the drain for an undis for on on short notice for an undisclosed reason and i was like that's really odd and not something that i would expect from right. a company um and off that i i sort of emailed you know a couple people off off the record and was just like Hey, so should I be worried about this? Um, because it's a little weird. And they're like, "Well, I wouldn't say be worried about it, but it is weird. You're right. It is weird." And um, that was basically all of the all of the thing I needed to be like, "All right, hey, Renee." <laughs> actually, <laughs> well, it's it's funny because I actually in January I had, I had talked briefly with Renee, being like, "Hey, you know, I'm kind of frustrated with things." At Macworlds, um, more to blow off some steam, and he mentioned, you know, oh, well, we might be hiring, and I'm like, oh, well, that's that's intriguing, but um, I never like I kind of dropped the ball on that intentionally because again, I was feeling guilty about like abandoning Jason, and I didn't no. really like. I thought I've been I've thought for a long time that Imor does stellar work, and they had been doing like their how-to stuff is simply unparalleled, and like from for someone who's like that's that's my bread and butter is like features and how-to. I'm like this is so great, and like. Whenever I'd go into a Macworld rundown meeting and like, we have to steal what Renee's doing and do it better because it's so good. <laughs> so I had talked to him back in January and uh, after after the thing happened, I, I kind of emailed him and again was like, remember what we were talking about like nine months ago? Could 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 we talk about that again, except like a little more seriously? <laughs> um, and uh, thankfully, due to bizarre, but like beautiful coincidence, um, Imor was just about getting ready to hire another person. So I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is great. This is perfect. And, you know, I, I talked to a couple people over at Imor and their parent company, Mobile Nations. And I'm like, this is, it's, uh, it's similar in, in a lot of ways to IDG in terms of like the, the structure of like a bigger, a bigger company over, overseeing like smaller communities but it's designed in such a different way. It's like you took a bunch of people who who know the startup culture and then you combined it with old world media publishing and you came out and created this beautiful, wonderful new animal that does, you know, like it still has to operate in some respects like a media company, but they also, you know, focus on other avenues and they really like the number one thing that they really care about are the are the readers are is their community and i'm like that's it's a complete 180 from what i've been doing this is exactly what i want so which isn't to say you know every every job has its like little nitpicks that you're like oh corporate blah 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 but mm -hmm. or like it was night and day it was absolutely night and day so i want to talk about about i more 
uh, in a bit more detail on the work that you're doing there. But I just want to take a quick break to thank our first sponsor for this week, and that is Dev Mountain. Dev Mountain is a world-class coding school in the mountains of Utah. They deliver the best learning experience you can find in one of the most beautiful places in the world. Dev Mountain is opening applications for a 12-week full-time iOS development course that begins in the first week of February. With only 25 slots available, it fills quickly. So sign up now. It is only eight weeks away. As as a student, you will be assigned an individual mentor to help answer questions when you get stuck and make sure that you're getting the most out of your time. The level of care that they give is super awesome and will make sure that you are going to get the most out of the course. Whether you're new to this or if you've struggled with learning code in the past, you're a perfect candidate for Dev Mountain. With a mentor and a structured learning environment, you're much more likely to learn to code. February is such an amazing time to go to Utah. The guys over at Dev Mountain insist to let me know that it is beautiful all year round there, but the mountains and snow at that time of the year are fantastic. And the tuition fee includes free housing for full-time students, so you'll be able to enjoy it with people that come from all over the world, and you'll have access to their campus 24 hours a day. Students at Dev Mountain actually build and finish iOS apps. They have many students that finish the course with not just one, but two apps in the store by the end of it. This isn't theoretical, this is real learning. Listeners of Inquisitive can get a $250 discount when you use the coupon code known for at checkout. That's K-N-O-W-N-F-O-R at checkout. With Dev Mountain, you'll have your app in the App Store in only 12 weeks. Learn to code, it's time. Go to devmountain.com slash inquisitive and use the code known for at checkout, and you'll get $250 off. Thank you so much to Dev Mountain for their support of this show. So, Ren, what makes the iMore team different to the people that you're working with now? Uh, what do you like working with these guys? Well, I should say first that I really like, I loved the Macworld editorial team, and I thought from start to finish, our editorial team was some of the best in the business. Like, um, I think the real the real difference um sort of the, the the fundamental shift to working with iMore is uh for one thing I'm in a a very different position um than I was with uh with Macworld where Macworld was very much kind of a um uh you know we had sort of layers of and reporting structures and everything else and like um Renee's my boss but at the same time we're equals on a um just back and forth sort of sort of way where we can chat over ideas and um and bounce things around and really craft I like craft thoughts of what what we can put on the site uh which is really exciting and being involved in kind of the the base level um creation of like what's what's going to happen to Imor in 2015 and what are we what are we working on and yeah. what can we do better and like that's um my you know part of my my film and theater background is in production and producing so that's that sort of feeds a, a part of me that I haven't really done a lot of in a, in recent years. And so it's really cool to be able to, you know, help, help shape things and be like, well, I think we're doing really well in this aspect and we could, we could change this a little bit to make it even more appealing to our readers. And, uh, we can do this and why don't we try this? And I don't know, Renee, Renee's a really, really awesome person, um, in general, just to, to work with on the Applebeat. I mean, he, his contacts are insane. Um, and he's, he's very, very good at, um, at crafting 
um, various stories and putting all the pieces together in a way that like I've always admired. And so being able to like learn from that firsthand is really exciting. Um, and also Peter and Allie, uh, Allie Kuzmusha and, and Peter Cohen, who are the other editors on the I'm More staff, they're both like fabulous people, rad people. Um, Allie, Allie writes more articles in a day than anybody I've ever met. <laughs> she can she can churn out like six articles and it's not like they're, you know, 10 words. They're all like 400, 500 words each and they're all more or less in like ready to post position. So it's just, it's crazy. And like Peter is one of the, I mean, Peter's a mainstay in, in the Mac journalism field. He is super smart and knows a lot about the Mac and everything in that in that angle and he's he's such a valuable resource so it's like we're a you know we're a much smaller team than what i had at at macworld but we get a lot of stuff done because of uh because of commitment and like real passion for the work that we're doing and i don't want to again i don't want to say that the macworld staff did not have passion for what we were doing because we we definitely did but it was a different sort of it's like a i hate to compare it to an Aaron sorkin show but you know what i mean it's like the you know you know, getting up in the day and producing iMore is the most important thing in the world. And it, it may not actually be the most important thing in the world, but the fact that we can all get on the same page and be like, yeah, we're yeah. going to do this and we're going to make it great. And we're going to put out these fantastic things and we're going to do the stuff that we're passionate about and write about all of the interesting things. And it also helps in part that we are almost entirely focused on features and how to's and general news, unless it's opinion related. Uh, we have other folks on the mobile nation staff who do that stuff who are mac special like new specialists but it doesn't you know we don't have to take up our time writing four or five news stories about <laughs> about patents or about steve jobs in the latest ipod trial case you know sure. <laughs> it's uh it, it allows us to focus on the long tail stuff and the stuff that really uh that really matters in terms of our archives and and what people can get the most out of which is really really important to me in general it's just it's a it also i think there's something to be said about a company that's you know a company that was founded in the age of the internet and a company whose the majority of their employees do not work from an office they work from their homes um in contrast with you know the first company that i worked for which was you know idg has been around since uh since the 70s and um has lots of corporate offices and big you know big structures you drive on on 90 on route 90 in in massachusetts and you can salute the idg building as as you drive <laughs> by there's a big giant logo that says idg um whereas you know mobile nations um i, I can salute it digitally everywhere i go but it's there's there no there really there really is something to be said about um about corporate culture when you're running an online company where every like the work getting the work done is still crucially important but it's also understood that you have a life and the life comes first and you can interweave your life with your work in such a way that it doesn't feel like your at home time is being taken away if that makes sense like i when I was working for Macworld, you know, I worked from home for two of my four years, um, but I still kept very rigid hours, even while I was working at home. Like I would still do kind of like an 8.30 to 5.30 kind of thing, um, except when I was <laughs> like working overtime on something. But it was, you know, I I could go away for like an extra long lunch, but I didn't really feel comfortable with just taking off in the middle of the day to do something. Whereas I feel like with iMore, getting the work done is 
really important, but also the flexibility to be like, oh gosh, I have an emergency, you know, like my dog's sick. I got to take her to the vet or something like that. Like there's, there's more leeway there and there's more like I can edit an article while I'm cooking dinner and it doesn't feel like the article is intruding upon my dinner making space. It's just, they're kind of existing in harmony in a, in a really wonderful way. I, I, I really love that the breaking down of, you know, it's not like life work and work work. It's just, this is my work. And, you know, I can set aside life only times and I can set aside work only times, but the majority of the time it just kind of flows in and out. And like, sometimes my life becomes my work. Like I had a really great example today of, um, helping a, helping a friend try and get on a, what was a windows only website and like being like, Oh, I wonder if you can play around with the user agent and, and oh, spoofing the user agent totally works. And now I was like, well, you know, now I have a how-to to write about tomorrow, <laughs> all from <laughs> taking five minutes out of my day to help somebody. Like, it's just, I, I, I appreciate that a lot. I think the culture that they're building at Mobile Nations is something really special. So it seems like, you know, you, you mentioned that at Macworld you were doing some, some uh, like how-to and guide type stuff, but you also mentioned like, a bunch of other tasks that that you seem to be doing like at one point or another are you able to focus more on the actual writing now i more than than you were at times of macworld yeah i'm getting there <laughs> i'm still you know i feel like it's been two and a half months since i started with i more but it's still in some ways um I still feel like it's my first week at the job where yeah. it's like there's all there are always new things popping up that are like, oh, well, we can do that. Renee went on vacation for the first time and that was really exciting. And I was like, oh, hey, we need to get these things done so that the website will function like the just new, new important things uh, every every week. But yeah, I, I, I am getting to write a little bit more. Um, I'm starting to do a lot more with apps on iMore, which is really exciting. In fact, uh, as soon as we finish chatting, I'm going to go write some stuff about Crossy Road. Oh, God. Crossy yes, Road. Yes. <laughs> that crazy <laughs> app. That crazy app. But yeah, like, um, I I feel like I, I do like a little bit of variance in my in my time. Like, I like being able to not just write or not just edit or not just do management tasks. Um, but iMore has been really good about, like, Oh yeah, we have we have all of these things for you to do. So whatever whatever works for this particular day. So I've been working on um you know, top secret ebooks programs, which we may or may not launch this year. We'll see. I gotta <laughs> gotta figure that out. Um, but also some writing and some editing and a little bit of uh, behind the scenes management work. Like just really really cool um, overall. Uh, it feels very well rounded right now, even though, as I said, it's like some some days it still gets a little bit crazy. But um, but overall, I'm I'm having a blast, an absolute blast. I noticed that you're making more video stuff now. Um, how does how does that feel to to be doing more of that with iMore? You know, so this is the funny thing. When I was at Macworld, I hated making videos, which I felt so bad about because I love Chris Breen, who was like the the one who was handling all of that stuff. I think in part it was the autoplay where it's like, you really don't want to make a video that you're going to hear yourself uh, two days later. And also because you know that people are going to hear it, like not not you and hate it. So it's kind of like I'm making something that people are going to hate, even if it's good. Yeah, I'm throwing throwing five hours of work into the void and it's not actually 
being helpful for anyone except maybe our advertisers. Uh, whereas with iMore, I feel like every video I'm doing is legitimately something that I'm doing for uh, for our audience. Like the first video I made was a iPhone 6 camera test um, with uh, with some roller skating and some fun stuff like that. And that was really fun to make. Um, also because I wasn't, you know, um, again, going to the like 40-year company culture kind of thing. Um, there's no strict template of a video has to look like this and you have to say this thing in your intro and this thing in your outro and you can't use these words while you're making it. It has to be very professional, you know, pull on the suspender straps. Yeah. Uh, it was just, you know, not to say that I'm isn't professional. It's just that we... Um, it's it's more human. The 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 voices on iMore feel more human at times. Where I, I feel like I can put more of myself into my video style, uh, both in the videos at the at the core video series that I've been doing, um, as well as the shorter how tos that are just voiceovers. Where I just I feel like I can talk naturally, like I was explaining something to someone at an Apple store or you know face to face. Where instead of being like. Here's how to use AirDrop from the folks at Macworld. <laughs> <laughs> from uh, your friends. Exactly, exactly. Um, so being able to sort of tamp tamp down the prof- not professionalism. That's not the word. Tamp down the the false straight jacket. Yes, like the forced professionalism. Exactly. Because it's, I, I still think I, I'm very proud of the videos that we've been doing, and I'm, I can't wait. Because uh, one of our, one of uh, Mobile Nation staff just sent me a Pelican case full of really, really good video equipment that I haven't gotten a chance to use yet. Because I need to get myself a tripod, and once I do, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about all of the possibilities. So yeah, that's a, that's a big thing that I've sort of been devoting my time to this. Uh, the last couple months that I really didn't do a lot of at Macworld other than like one video a month. What are the different challenges that you face for video that you don't when you write or when you record an audio podcast? Oh boy. Well, for one thing, you have to get your process down. Video requires a X uh, additional programs that you won't, you wouldn't necessarily need. You know, if you're just writing a straight article, you need BB edit or some kind of writing program um you need screenshots which you can just take on whatever devices you have you need the the devices um and then you need your cms whereas with video not only do you need the programs for video you need something like ScreenFlow, which is great or you can um you can chop it up in imovie if you want to torture yourself or final cut um but uh in addition to those you need to have sort of a a workflow of a like this is this is how I'm going to shoot these things because if you try and like when I first started doing video way back in college like my my shooting script was all over the place and I quickly learned that you know you can't shoot one scene and then go edit that scene and then go shoot another scene and edit that scene because you're just going to break up your rhythm and you're going to have to pull out different tools it's like um it's like trying to cook um and then you're getting instead of getting out all of your tools and your your utensils and doing everything first it's like i'm gonna cook eggplant parmesan but i'm gonna cook only the chicken first and then once the chicken's done i'm gonna put the chicken there and while it's getting cold i'm gonna cook the pasta and then i'm gonna make the sauce and put the the sauce over the cold chicken and by now the pasta's getting you know what i mean like you just you have to figure out a good a good flow that works for that and Figuring out that flow can sometimes take hours <laughs> um, in your first couple of video tests. I feel really lucky because I do have a 
a fair background in video and uh, video editing. So I man it like I got a lot of that flow figuring out uh, out of the way uh, years ago. So videos for me take, you know, they probably take two to four hours to to shoot, cut, put together, script, etc. Um, and post on the website. Whereas, you know, for folks who are just getting into video, you have to have a good setup, you have to have your tools, you have to have your workflow. You have to know that writing, um, writing for video is a little bit different than writing, you know, just a straight old article in that what you write needs, you need to be able to say what you write and have it sound conversational and have it not sound like you're reading from a script. Um, and some people write very well that way. Some people have no problem uh, writing how they speak. But for the vast majority of us, that's a that is a learned skill. You know um, how we how we speak and how we extemporaneously talk is very different than a lot of people. What a lot of people write, like for as a as a challenge, um, I always like to go back on Twitter and try and read some of my tweets out loud. Where it's like, if I if I want to say something succinct, succinct that I really like, I want to make sure that I I read it out loud first so that it sounds just as good spoken as it does as this huge crazy run on sentence in Twitter because, you know, some some sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Also, um weird weird side note uh but i for the last uh year at macworld or i guess two years i uh i transcribed all of tim cook's appearances um his primarily this was those were financial calls but i also did things like the when he went on pbs i transcribed that um or any public appearances like he did the goldman sachs conference last year and i transcribed that and transcribing how someone talks freely, not prepared statements, but like answers to questions, uh, you find a, a very, again, a very different rhythm. And I actually feel like transcribing so much Tim Cook gave me a better appreciation for how the spoken word lands on the page and vice versa. And I'm, I feel like I'm able to write better scripts from myself as a result of transcribing somebody else. That sounds kind of crazy, I guess, but uh, but it, I don't know. It's I, just like now that I think about that, I, I really do feel like that that affected my, my script writing a lot. So I want to take uh, a second break and then I want to talk about podcasts, which oh, is yeah. obviously something that I love to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> of course. This week's episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by Campaign Monitor, who make it easy to design, create, send, and optimize your email campaigns. Campaign Monitor features Canvas. This is their easy-to-use builder for creating beautiful email newsletters that look great everywhere, especially on mobile devices, because they make sure that they take care of all that responsive web stuff that you've been hearing about. Thousands of Campaign Monitor customers are using Canvas to totally reinvent what they send, and you can create your own email template right now at campaignmonitor.com slash templates. With Canvas, you can create an email in just minutes. It's super easy to use, even fun to use, with their drag-and-drop interface that takes care of all of the stuff that you'd expect to just work, like automatic image resizing, perfect typography, and they have a super cool spacer tool too to help you lay out things just as you like. You can create unique emails that are going to look fantastic and match your site or your brand because these aren't just cookie-cutter templates. They give you full control. They make it really flexible and customizable. And you can match your own fonts and colors as well to look just as you like. Campaign Monitor have a bunch of cool stuff. They do things like email subject testing. They can do RSS to email. They do things to help make sure that you're going to not get caught up by spam filters. They do everything that you'd want. Go and check them right out by going to campaignmonitor.com. You can sign up for a free account right now. Campaign Monitor have been supporting Inquisitor for a long time. If you enjoy this show, go support them. Thanks so much to Campaign Monitor for helping support this show and Relay FM. 
So, podcasts. You are an avid contributor to the <laughs> podcast world. Uh, you previously did the Macworld podcast with Chris Breen every week. You contributed to the iMore show as well. Mm-hmm. And you're still doing fantastic work as a contributor at The Incomparable, on the main show, on Total Party Kill, and the radio dramas. So I want to talk about the radio dramas in a little bit more detail. But, I mean, many people these days are starting to see podcasting as a, a business or some form of professional output. But what's your view? Like, how do you see podcasts? Are they a hobby or are they something more for you? Um, for me, well, right now I, I don't get paid for them. So I, I consider them uh, a hobby, uh, but at the same time, um, especially when we take into account something like the radio plays, it's, it's, it's not even so much, the hobby is not necessarily the right word. I, I kind of look at it more as a passion, right? It's a passion project, uh, where, which is to say like I podcasts, they take time, they take energy, they take equipment and money and um, not, a, not a lot of money, you know, you can put it, money into a huge podcasting setup or you can get something minimal, but you know, it still, it takes effort to put this on. And so as a result, it's like, it's not something you should be doing unless you, you really care about it. Um, and my, my dirty secret about podcasts is that I love, like when I first started, um, when I first started on the Incomparable, in fact, the Incomparable was the first podcast I ever did back in 2010, or I think third episode. Um, when I first started, I listened avidly to podcasts, but I had never been on one. And since I started recording podcasts, there are very few podcasts I still listen to. And I definitely spend more time recording podcasts than I do listening, which is funny in that, like, you know, I really I love listening to podcasts. I think uh, when I I worked briefly for my friend, uh, my friend Jeff Rowland's company, Topotico, which is this great sort of online merchandise company for for webcomics. And I, I spent a lot of time there folding T-shirts. And uh, <laughs> while we were T-shirt folding, we would listen to uh, various podcasts, you know, Mark Marin and Radio Lab and This American Life. Like the, we were talking about the original, the original big wave um, of podcasts back in the, you know, 2000, 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, and I, like, I, I grew a big love for that. And also, uh, I can't speak publicly in front of people. I say dumb things like it just, it wouldn't work, but I like listening to them. And then of course the very first episode I was on for the incomparable, I said something dumb, (laughs) which is to say, I, I still remember this, which is probably silly, but like, I meant to say Lestrade in an episode about Sherlock and I said Lestrange and for some reason that sticks in my head as like like I was like oh god Jason's never gonna invite me back and they're gonna think I'm a (laughs) fake geek girl and the world is gonna fall down on my head (laughs) like you know when when it's the when it's the first time you do you do something you're like oh god this is the the end and pretty soon I realized no we kind of make mistakes on podcasts on a regular basis and we just kind of go with it and and no one you know it's not it's not that big a deal and and don't don't stress out and just you know have fun with it and enjoy your enjoy your podcasting experience um and I really like I I love recording podcasts I I, I think it's just it's it's fun. I, I, it still kind of baffles me in some ways that like, especially with the incomparable, like so many people listen to total party kill, which is our podcast where we basically play D and D and, you know, we have video accompaniment, but I, most of the people listen on the audio only stream. And I'm like, how, I guess this could be interesting, but like, I I'm having so much fun playing it. Maybe, maybe people are enjoying it because we're having so much fun playing, but 
But like on the outside, I'm like, I don't understand why more than three people are listening to this besides my parents. <laughs> TPK is one of my most favorite podcasts, and I have never played Dungeons and Dragons. Really? Yeah. That's why, so. Why do you like TPK? I'm going to turn the questions on you for a second because I'm I'm curious. It's a fun story. Like <laughs> you guys are telling a story every like every week or or however. I don't, I don't know if the show is weekly. Actually, I think it is. Yeah, we we yeah. we play it. I think weekly or biweekly. So I mean, I just love listening, and it's always hilarious because you guys. I mean, you guys are close friends as well, so it helps as well. You know, like you, mm-hmm. you're just hanging out and having a fun, playing a fun game, and you, you know you're telling a great story, and there's always just stupid jokes, and it just feels <laughs> like that. Maybe more than a lot of shows I listen to, I get the the chemistry element of that show. Because mm-hmm. you're just playing a game, and there's a good story there, and you're kind of just, you know, it's just funny, and I and I like it, and I just I'm gripped to the story as well. Like I just want to know what's going to happen next, and yes, it, I really really enjoy it, which is so peculiar because I have no real sort of base understanding for the game that's being played, but I'm learning it as we go along. <laughs> Yay! I'm glad we we're giving like Soto tutorials. Checking, checking initiative. <laughs> yeah, it, that's so awesome to hear. Because like, again, I feel like um, as a podcaster now, I kind of feel like you almost get so wrapped up in the production process and in the, oh God, I've got to cut this and make sure it's, you know, lined up just right that I don't really like, it's, it's like in theater too. I, I don't really get the chance to take a step back and actually watch the thing a yeah. lot of times, you know, um, Especially when you put so much, you're like, I just put four hours into this. Oh, do I ever want to watch what I just did? <laughs> yep. It um, is weird. It is weird. Especially when, you you know, you get on a schedule. Oh, so yeah. And it's like you can't guarantee everyone's going to be the best mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah, there's this weird kind of. And then, like, I've, I've found, anyway, that I can't tell if something's good or not anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is because of the amount, like, that I produce and I'm sure you guys feel the same. Like sometimes you, I've had episodes like that was terrible and then people love it and you just like, well, I don't understand anything anymore. <laughs> You're like, that's my favorite episode ever. And I'm like, but I was, okay. You know what? I'm just going to close my eyes and accept it. Just going to accept I'll be happy about it. it <laughs> exactly. Means there are no bad shows. <laughs> I'm, you know what? If one, if just one person enjoys every show we do, I feel like that's a success. It's like, oh, well, I put in this time and energy, but if, if it really, if it made one person's day, then that, that's fantastic. So you've, you've done a few radio dramas now as well at The Incomparable. And <laughs> just a few. Just a few. And it feels like uh, there is, I keep hearing people talk about it. So <laughs> what's happening there? Oh boy. Well, I can't reveal too much because our playwright might kill me, um, <laughs> but I will say like, the radio drama started as a joke um, two April Fools ago. Yeah, I want to say two April Fools ago. Um, Jason was like, you know, what? we need to do something for an April Fools episode just to do it. I have this wild and crazy idea. And as soon as he mentioned, well, you know, it would be fun if we just did maybe like a quick radio play, like a 10 minute thing, whatever. David Lore, who's been a longtime fan of the the incomparable and at that point i think had contributed once or twice is like oh no 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 we're not gonna do 10 minutes we're gonna do a full hour (laughs) and david goes into crazy writing mode we want to talk about people who are prolific 
Um, and he turns out this this 65 minute script. He's just like, bam, here you are, fully formed from the mouth of Zeus. Um, here are these hilarious little spoofs. And it's all, it's great because like David is a bigger theater and radio play nerd than I am. And I thought I was like pretty high up on the food chain. Like I studied radio, radio theater in, in school. Like I made plays. My, one of my uh, junior thesis projects was recreating War of the Worlds set at my college. Like it was, so I'm like, David, knows these things intimately and and the stuff that he doesn't know he loves putting in the research for so he'll write a he'll write an entire show like he'll go listen to the third man for two hours and then he'll come out and he'll write like a third man inspired sketch um which i think we had at last year's christmas episode that's inspired and and not only not just an homage but a you know really taking the material living in it spoofing on it and going beyond the original material which is it's so exciting to direct and to be in. And I like, I'm, I feel so lucky that we found David because he is eminently talented. Like, I feel like all of us can write. Most of us, like, most of us on The Incomparable are either from tech writing backgrounds or we have fiction writing backgrounds in our, in our, in our blood. Um, but, but David is not only a really great fiction writer and a playwright, but he, you know, it's his full-time job. Like, he is a playwright. He's a playwright in Indiana. Um, and he does this stuff quickly, and he does it with just so much flair and panache. It's it's just really cool. So he wrote this script for us, um, and then we spent you know two and a half, three weeks recording this in four or five hour chunks. Um, there was one point where Dan Morin and I were running around my basement, um, recording Foley sounds of like punches and and clop clop clops of feet, and it was just it was so funny. Um, and such a, such a weird thing to be doing like three days before Christmas, but, but there we were. Um, and we kind of did it more, or not Christmas, the, um, that was the, the April Fool's, but yeah, we, we did it initially as just kind of a, we're going to make this for ourselves. It's going to be ridiculous. We're going to laugh a lot at this. And then when we released it, everybody, like the response was so excited and, and, I can't even describe it. Like so many people wrote to us and wrote to me on Twitter and wrote to Dave and, and Jason just saying how much they loved it, how how funny they thought it was, how unique. And I'm like, you know, the thrilling adventure hours like right over there and they have like really awesome radio plays and we're not nearly as good. And oh, gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we like as a result of that, we decided to do it again at Christmas. Um, and um, this year, we were like, well, people love this so much, maybe we should spin it off into its own podcast and, and stop doing these like special event things and actually seriously consider like, let's, let's be a radio play player. Like, let's, let's be on this scene. Um, and, you know, no, we're not going to be thrilling adventure hour, but we can be something different. We don't have to be them. We don't have to be, um, you know, Night Vale. We can, we can be our own, our own podcast. And I have to say this it's a it's a little thing but it makes me really happy that uh last month itunes had like a best of radio theater uh highlight on their in their banner rotation and we're sitting right next to thrilling adventure and night vale like hmm. sandwiched in between two of them and i it just it like it puts such a grin on my face because i'm like this is something like most of us are amateurs in the in theater and we're not, you know, we're we're coming at this from love, from pure love, you know, and being able to have a podcast that kind of stands up alongside um, 
folks like Welcome to Night Vale and, and Thrilling Adventure, that just like that, it, it fills me with, with so much pride and so much joy. So there will, there will be more radio theater. That's, I feel like that's what I can say so far without anybody getting mad at me. <laughs> there will be more. It will come in 2015. Tune in and find out. Maybe you'll see something in the new year. Maybe, maybe. I'm very excited. <laughs> me too. This week's episode is also brought to you by Smile Software and PDF Pen Scan Plus. PDF Pen Scan Plus is the app for mobile scanning and OCR. It allows you to scan documents using OCR directly from your iPhone and iPad camera. You can take images of multiple pages effortlessly and do post-process image editing. And you can crop these images quickly and precisely, ensuring you never miss a thing. PDF Pen Scan Plus even recognizes the edges of your images, making sure that everything that's important is kept on that page. And version 1.5 now takes advantage of image optimization, making sure your images are crystal clear every time. PDF Pen Scan Plus can help you blast through stacks of documents and receipts in one go. You can export multiple documents at once, making batch scanning easier than ever, whilst automatically uploading them to Dropbox or iCloud Drive for storage and availability on the Mac and other iOS devices. The app can name your files by date automatically, and with the built-in OCR scanning, the text of your documents is recognized and made available for copying and pasting into other apps for easy searching later. This is super awesome. PDF Pen Scan Plus is a universal iOS app. It works on both your iPhone and your iPad, and it's available right now from the App Store. You can learn more at smilesoftware.com slash inquisitive. Just before I let you go, Serenity, I would like to ask you about Roller Derby. Okay. What would you like to know about Roller Derby? So I don't know anything about it. <laughs> so what is Roller Derby? Like, there, it's like You basically compete, right? It's like a competitive you do. sport. It is a competitive sport. In fact, um, Team England just took number two spot in the world at the World Cup last weekend. I thought you should know. Wow, um, I'm, I'm very proud of my country. <laughs> <laughs> so um, roller derby is a competitive sport that was born out of um, actually a fairly storied history in the United States. It started out as competitive transcontinental racing, where pairs of people would basically, um, on quad skates during the Great Depression, try and skate the length of America in a closed rink. And every oh, lap they word. did, they would like chart a little thing. It was, you know, the Great Depression. You did crazy things for fun, like try and tr- try and skate the trans. <laughs> it was just so silly. So that turned into what we kind of like the, the common image of roller derby is where you have five people on each team on a bank track and it got a little fake and staged and there were elbows and they were trying to increase, you know, viewership when they put it on television and it just kind of it, it, it got away from itself. So modern flat track roller derby was created about uh, 11 years ago and basically features uh Five people from each team on an oval flat track that's laid down with tape and rope. Um, There are four people called blockers. Their job is to help the fifth person, which is called a jammer, either score by passing the hips of opposing blockers or prevent the other team's jammer from scoring. Um, So it's basically the whistle blows and these two jammers take off at the same time trying to get through the opposing blockers on this track. The person who gets out first is declared lead jammer, and that just gives them the chance to be able to call off the jam at any time and restart it all over again. Uh, So usually you'll see someone get out, 
get the lead jammer status, come up against the pack again, and at this point they get to tie, they get to score. So they'll they'll go through trying to pass hips of the opposing blockers, and once they've gotten all of the opposing blockers, which is a maximum of four, or if the other jammer is still stuck, which gives them that extra five, fifth point, they'll call off the jam by tapping their hands on their hips. So it's a it's a very it can be a fast-paced game that's simultaneously played with offense and defense, um, and it's it's really, really, really fun to play, really exhilarating. Um, it is not staged. It is all 100% live um, and no crazy illegal hits. Uh, actually, the game is primarily – it's a very strategic game at the high levels at this point um, where it's really about – figuring out when you can switch from defense to offense to best help your jammer and best shut down the opposing jammer. Um, and those big, you know, big hits, which uh, roller derby used to be famous for have now become more about, you know, containment and, um, smartly like, oh, well, you don't, you don't swing wildly to like hit somebody and, and make them fly out of the ring. Um, instead you wait until they're just about ready to escape from the pack. You line up your hit and then you hit them properly with the hips and, and send them flying. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a really fun, exhilarating sport. I really recommend that you check out, um, the London roller girls and the London rock and rollers, I think are the, probably the two closest to your area um roller derby for me i feel like completely changed my life uh which is sounds a bit cliche to say and i there are a lot of people who um who feel this way about roller derby it's a primarily female sport although there are men's teams and in fact i coach uh one of the men's teams the the mass maelstrom in massachusetts um but when i started derby it was really because I wanted I wanted just some exercise. <laughs> like I wanted I wanted to skate, um, and uh, I didn't want to go to the gym. So I just started I started roller skating, and then um, met the girls at uh, of the Bay Area Derby girls when I moved to San Francisco, and joined their sort of recreational program, which was designed to like help you learn how to roller skate and play basic roller derby, and also potentially train you up for their for their league proper. And at the end of a year, um, my coach at the time was basically like, you need to try out. You need to stop fuddling around and like being silly on roller skates and actually commit to this because it will change your life and you will love it. And I was scared, but I did it and I never looked back. Um, it was, there's something so wonderful about joining a group of people who have all felt like misfits or outcasts at some point in their life for something. And they come from all walks of life. Like it's not like a, it's not all a bunch of geeks or all a bunch of former pop or punk kids or anything like that. It's like this, it's this crazy mix of like, of theater kids and doctors and lawyers and um, PR specialists and uh, journalists, like the, the jobs that the women that I skate with hold, like they're, they're numerous and they're varied and the, the walks of life we have, we have one woman who's in her forties and has three kids and is like a superhero where she just like, she does everything and she's a great skater and she runs our merch uh, department. Like she's, she's fantastic. Um, and she climbs mountains in her spare time and not like just like any mountains, but like mountains like Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's an inspiration to see these women, um, really, you know, from any body type, any age strap on roller skates and play this fierce competitive game and be good at this fierce competitive game. Um, it it instills a sense of confidence in you that I feel like 
you know, I, I, I won't say that I wasn't a confident person, but I think I lost that somewhere along my, my journey from being like a little, a little know-it-all bratty kid to, <laughs> to being a 22 year old in a foreign, in a, you know, a city that I really didn't know very well. Um, and who was, you know, working 12 hour shifts at her job because she didn't have anything better to do. Um, and roller derby basically gave me something to really put passion into. Um, and it really made me excited about something in a, in a way that nothing aside from theater had ever really elicited. Like I, I love technology and I will always love technology and podcasting and radio plays and all of that. Um, but there's a difference between like, I'm passionate about something and there is a burning fire in my belly and it will not be quenched until I, you know, become as good as I can possibly be at this sport and do whatever I can do for this sport and admit it's just, it's, it's crazy to have that kind of love for something. Um, and to know that, you know, there's, there's lots of bureaucracy in roller derby. There's lots of silly things that I wish wouldn't happen. And I, I definitely come home frustrated some nights and like, why am I doing this? But the, the highs and the, the community and the partnership, like the, the people I have met from doing roller derby have completely changed my life and made me a better person, made me a stronger person, um, made me willing to take more risks. I probably, you know, to be perfectly honest, like being able to have the confidence to jump to, to, uh, I'm more from Macworld, for example. You know, I, I found out after the layoffs that my job would have been safe if I had stayed. And I'm like, you know what? It's, if I'd never done Derby, there's a good chance that I probably would have just, you know, stuck to the safe road and been like, do, do, do. It's, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I can, I can still manage. And I feel like it's just, it's an experience that teaches you that it's okay to jump, you know, to, to try big and fail terribly miserably um exhaustingly uh but still want to get back up and go again there's actually a really um a really really moving uh ted talk that a friend of mine dana hayes uh, who goes by grim demise uh in main roller derby she uh she did a ted talk about her her experience with roller derby and how it helped her through an eating disorder and it's really powerful stuff. I put it on my um on Twitter a couple of days ago and I can give it to you for the show notes, but it's really like to me that that signifies uh completely just just how transformative the sport can be. It's you know, I'm I'm sure there are other things for people, you know, I'm not saying that roller derby is like the be all cure all, but I I really do think that it's a it's a tr- it's a really magical sport um for for young women. Um, and for people who have kind of either lost their way or are looking for for role models, um, people to to look up to and be inspired by to to try something new, jump out of your comfort zone. It's just I don't know. You got me rambling, Mike. I, I like I I never know how to properly put my feelings for for Derby into into words. So I apologize. <laughs> no, I I I enjoyed that. That was like an impassioned plea for you know for, for roller derby i i i you basically answered every question i had oh awesome <laughs> ren it's always a pleasure to talk to you it's um, a great pleasure to talk to you mike i i enjoy our chats even when you let me ramble <laughs> and i'm i'm happy that you're you're doing new things and and i'm pleased that we're seeing more of your work um where can people 
keep up with what you're what you're doing these days? Well, on imore.com, naturally, I will be uh, posting every day various videos and articles, etc. Uh, I'm on Twitter and all of the other things at at Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N. Um, and I have a, a, a much abandoned blog of late, but hopefully I will start posting to it again soon called manyhats.tumblr.com. If you'd like to find the show notes for this week's episode, you want to go to relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 17. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Dev Mountain, Campaign Monitor, and Smile. I am at iMike on Twitter, I-M-Y-K-E, and I'll be back next week. Thanks again to Ren for joining me, and thank you all for listening. Until then, bye-bye.